The Apostles' Creed on the second uh, line in that is this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Now, just a quick reminder what the Apostles' Creed is. Remember, it's a summary of the whole Bible. So all the words of the Bible summarised into these uh, 12 statements. And here, uh, they help us to understand the core and the basic beliefs of Christianity that Christians have agreed on and, uh, and said and recited together for so many years, for centuries and centuries. And so it's a great way for us to get back to basics, for us to remind ourselves what we believe and why we believe it. And my prayer is that it would encourage us and that it will keep us going, uh, but as well it will bring us back to what we really believe. For us as believers, I pray that would be the case. And if you're searching and wondering, what's this all about? And I pray that this would be a way for us to introduce uh, this glorious gospel message. Now, um, as we come to look at this passage, we're going to need God's help. So please join with me in prayer and help us to ask God to help us as we come to look at his word and look at the theme, this glorious theme of the person of Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is this morning that you would help us to see Jesus, to know him better, to love him more. Please, Lord God, help us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. There's a lady called Eileen Nern, who I read an obituary of a few years ago, uh, many years ago now, and she was a lady who died, and the neighbours were asked, what did you think of this lady who lived down the street from you? And they were kind of thinking who she was and trying to remember who she was. And she said, oh, the lady down the road there in in Torquay, you know, they, they, they thought, oh, she's the one who loved talking about cats. Her neighbours summed it up like that. She loved talking about cats. When they cleared out her flat in Torquay, they found a load of war medals. They found an MBE. And when you researched and looked into her story, in 1944, she was a spy. And she was an agent that her codename was Rose. And she parachuted into France and passed info onto uh, Britain. She was eventually captured by the Gestapo, she was tortured, she was put in a concentration camp, and then she escaped the concentration camp, hid in a forest and survived there until the end of the war. What a lady. But you know, people on the street, they looked at her and dismissed her as somebody who liked talking about cats. They missed out, didn't they? They could have encountered such a special lady and they missed it. Well, do you know when it comes to the name Jesus Christ? in a much greater, much more amazing way, we can miss out. Maybe today you hear the name Jesus and you switch off and you think, oh, I know know about Jesus and I don't want to know anymore. Maybe you think you know it all about Jesus because you've heard about him for years and you think, oh, no, I'm, I'm bored of him now. But when it comes to Jesus, there is always more to know and enjoy of him. We looked last week at who God is and we realised that there are, we said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We have that triune God. The triune God. And wonderfully, we said, didn't we, that the Father has been in this, uh, loves the Son by the Spirit. And, and so the Father has eternally loved the Son. And he is never bored of the Son. And so forever and ever, there has been that glorious relationship within the Godhead. One God, three persons, the triune God. We can never get bored of Jesus. There's always more to know. There's always more to enjoy. And so this morning, maybe as a Christian, you think of Jesus and if you're honest, you feel cold towards him. You don't love him as you know you would like to. 
Maybe you feel stuck in a pattern of sin and you just can't seem to get out and you fail again and you think of Jesus and you're ashamed and you don't want to draw near. Perhaps you feel like your walk is stuttering and you know he's great news and you agree he's great news, but when you look at your life, it doesn't line up with that. We have the privilege this morning of thinking on who Jesus is and what he's like. Now, I feel totally incapable of getting across some of the truths that we're going to think of today. So please, as we look at these themes of who Jesus is, pray with me in your heart that God would show more of Christ to you by his spirit. That's our hope this morning. Let me read a few words that John Owen wrote in his book, The Glory of Christ. He says this, make up your mind that to behold the glory of God by beholding the glory of Christ is the greatest privilege which is given to believers in this life. This is the dawning of heaven. It is the first taste of that heavenly glory which God has prepared for us. A constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. This is what transforms us daily into the likeness of Christ. So let us live in constant contemplation of the glory of Christ and power will then flow from us to him, from him to us, healing all our feelings, renewing a right spirit in us, enabling us to abound in all the duties that God requires of us. On Christ's glory, I will fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes and I will be more and more crucified to this world. The greatest privilege we have is to behold the glory of Christ. So this is the line we're looking at this morning again. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. There's four truths about Jesus in that line. I want us just to look at those truths together. We'll work through them one by one. And then we'll see three ways that this truth impacts our lives. Uh, And really, we're scratching the surface here. As I said, I feel um, can't get across really the glory and the wonder of what we're looking at and who we're looking at. But let's pray that God will help us. So four things about Jesus in that phrase. Let's work through them one at a time. And we'll use John chapter 20 to help us. Because as we look at John 20, do you see what, what Thomas comes out with here? He realises who Jesus is and he answered him, my Lord and my God. He sees who Jesus is. He grasps him because he's seen the risen Christ. And then later on, we see that John sums up and said, Jesus did many other signs in this book in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So this whole gospel is written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Thomas has just said, my Lord and my God. All those phrases that we see there just in these short verses. And there's lots of other passages that say that and sum it up as well. So what are these four truths about Jesus that we need to understand? The first is this. The first um, truth and the first thing we're going to learn is this. We're going to look at the name Jesus. Very basic when we're looking at the name Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Now, why are we saying that? Well, this is Jesus' name. It was the name of a real man born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He really existed, this real historic person. Sometimes people dismiss Jesus as a myth or a legend or something that somebody that didn't really exist and just um, as kind of stories have been passed on and, and he's just this myth, mythical figure. 
But we must see and affirm today that Jesus really existed in history, and any credible historian agrees on that. You look at the evidence of the Bible, the four Gospels. They're not written as myth or legend. They're written as eyewitness account. Luke starts his Gospel by saying, I've researched this, I've looked into it, and now uh, this is what I've brought together. Eyewitness accounts. Jesus really existed. John, as I've just read, uh, he, he saw lots more that Jesus did, but I've written this so that you would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Not only do we have the writings of the Bible, but there's writings outside of the Bible that talk of Jesus existing as well. Now, here's a question to ask yourself. Do you believe in the existence of Julius Caesar? I'm sure most of us do. We agree with his existence. Well, um, the classic historians base their knowledge of Julius Caesar to manuscripts that the earliest date about the 9th century, 900 years um, after the events of Julius Caesar's life. And, and people accept them. They say, yeah, you know, we, we believe in him. Whereas the earliest manuscripts we have for Jesus' life are just decades after. You see the difference? 900 years or decades, and yet people, yeah, well, yeah, Julius Caesar existed, Jesus, I'm not so sure. We can affirm today that the historical person of Jesus existed. And not only that, can you see that this person came, he lived this amazing life, did these amazing miracles and these claims that he made um, to the world, and then the world turned upside down. 11 followers that became 12 with Paul. And these men, um, God used powerfully to turn the world upside down. How do you account for that if you don't believe? Jesus was a real man in history. Well, look at what that means for us in a moment, but we need to affirm that. Jesus, that was his name. Secondly, then, we see that we see Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, please remember Christ is not Jesus' surname. Hey, you wouldn't, and I say this respectfully, you wouldn't look in the, um, kind of, if you're looking for his name in a, in a phone book or something, you're looking for Christ as a surname. It's not his surname, it's his title. The Christ. Now, the Christ, that talks about uh, the fact that he is the anointed one. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. So he is the anointed one, the promised one. The one in the Old Testament, when you see people were anointed, they were given a specific job. So prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, kings were anointed. All anointed because they were given a specific, special job for God to do. But then, as you read through the Old Testament, the Messiah, that, that word, becomes a shorthand to, to say somebody is coming to rescue the world. Let's just do a very quick recap of the whole Bible, okay? Very quick. Genesis 1, we started there last week, so we can pick off from there. And remember, God made the world and it was good, very good. But as we look around now, we don't see that, do we? We don't see the world as very good. We see glimpses of it, but now we live in a world that is fallen and broken. Why? Well, Genesis 3 happened. Adam and Eve and humanity there turned away from God. And they said, God, we're going to do this on our own. We don't need you. And as a result, the world falls apart. God made this world for us to enjoy with him. And when a relationship to him was broken, everything fell apart like a domino effect. And so the world is broken. Relationships broken. Relationship with God broken. Relationship with each other broken. And this world, the very fabric of this world, was now broken. So what's going to happen? Well, God there in Genesis 3 promises to send someone. Someone's going to come to crush the serpent's head. 
Somebody is going to come who is going to destroy sin and death and he's going to fix everything. So what we're doing from Genesis 3 onwards is we're waiting. Where's this promised serpent crusher? Where is he? And then we meet Abraham and God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, through your descendant, there will be one who will bless the whole world. So we're following from Abraham's descendants. Who is next? And so we follow Abraham's descendants. They go into slavery in Egypt. Then they're set free. Arrive, they arrive in the promised land. And when they're there, they demand a king. They get a king. And eventually we meet King David. And God says to David, one of your offspring, David, will be on the throne forever. A son of David will be the promised one, the Messiah, the one who's going to fix everything. And so we follow David's line, waiting for a king that's going to be on the throne, that's going to rule well and justly. And you look at all the kings in the Old Testament and they all fail. We're waiting, we're waiting, a son of David. And then, in the city of David, was born Jesus Christ. Joseph, his earthly father, was a descendant of David. So there he is in the line. He's born. 30 years old, he um, he is baptised. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit. He is the anointed one. As he lived his life, he did wonderful works of miracles, taught in in authority that nobody had ever seen before. And then Jesus asks his disciples in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, other Jeremiah are one of your prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. Do you see how you're the one? You're the one we've been waiting for since Genesis 3. You're the serpent crusher. You're the promised son of Abraham. You're the promised son of David. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Oh, no, 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 you've got it wrong. No, he says. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has. You see, Jesus, I believe in Jesus, a historical man. I believe in Jesus Christ, the promised one. Jesus didn't just turn up and say, right, I've got a plan. I've got a few ideas that I'm going to throw at you. No, this is God's plan to rescue and save this world. That is, Jesus fulfilled the promises of thousands of years. He's the promised king, the one we've been waiting for. So we put this together with the name Jesus. Remember what Jesus, uh, we read that name means in Matthew 1. The angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The saviour the Christ has come. What do we believe? We believe in Jesus, a real historical figure. We believe in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. But we also believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, that is the son of the father, the son of God. Now, as we read, if you read through the gospels, you see this phrase, the son of God coming up time and time again. And we need to see the special relationship that Jesus had with his father. So remember John chapter 20, verse 31 Uh, What does it say there? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I want you to know this, John says. This is why it's written. But not only that, think back to Luke chapter 2. Remember Jesus was lost? Where did he end up? Why are you surprised? I'm in my father's house, as he calls it. When he's baptised, the word from heaven comes and God the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We see that on the Mount of Transfiguration too. When he's on trial before he's crucified, he's asked, are you the son of God? 
And then when he dies, the centurion looks and says, surely this is the son of God. It's all over the place. If you read through the Gospels, look out for it. You'll see it everywhere. And as you see through John's Gospel, we clearly see that Jesus talks about himself in this way as well. This special relationship that he has with the Father. Remember when we looked through John 14 to 17 um, a few months ago now. We see this wonderful relationship that he has with the Father. And he says in John 10, I and the Father are one. When people listening heard that, what did they do? The Jews picked up stones to stone him. You can't say that. He was making himself equal with God. And the Jews didn't like it. They said, that's blasphemy. They wanted to kill him. So when we're saying Jesus is the son of God, what are we seeing? Well, Jesus, this historical person who entered into time and space and history, is the Christ, the promised one. And who is he? He has shown us that he is the second person of the Trinity. That he is wonderfully fully God and fully man. Remember how John begins his gospel? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word then became flesh. This is Jesus, the eternal son of God. He's always been the son and the father has always been the father. One God, three persons, the the Trinity. Again, we're seeing it coming through. Jesus is God in the flesh. And not only does he say that about himself and others say it about him, but we see that in his life, don't we? He commanded nature in a way that only nature, only the creator could. Diseases were healed by him. He fixed the body in a way that only the designer could. Demons obeyed him and shuddered at his authority. Not even death could hold back from him. When he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come come out. Death had to obey He is God in the flesh, equal with God. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is Jesus we believe in. Who is he? He is Jesus a historical person. He is the Christ, the promised one. He is the son of God. And the last thing we see in that line is he is our Lord. Now, as I said, when we look um, at this passage, I know we're only dipping into it, but you do feel, I feel sorry for Thomas. I think he had a rough deal being called Doubting Thomas all these years because he gets to say those wonderful words in verse 28 Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. He is the example to us there. This is the conclusion I want you to come to, John says. Thomas gets it. He believes, he trusts. And he says, you are my Lord. You're my King. He grasps who Jesus is. Now in the Old Testament, that word Lord um, is the covenant name given to God, isn't it? And they translate that word Lord into the same word used here in the Greek when they translate the the Old Testament Hebrew, into the Greek. They use the same word here. So he's using this this loaded word to call Jesus his Lord. And not only that, we see Jesus, don't we, saying, before Abraham was, I am. Again, using the covenant name for God. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he's the king, he's the Lord, he's the boss, he's the one with all authority. He's the one we need to listen to. In Romans 10, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And then he quotes from the Old Testament and says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which word is he referring to there? Again, Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God. This is who Jesus is. He's our Lord. So what does this word Lord tell us about Jesus? He's the king. He's the true ruler. He's the one who has authority and power. He's the one who has uh, the ability to fix this world that is so um, fallen. So when we say that line, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. You see how full jam-packed that is with things. And we are just scratching the surface. There is so much more we could say on every single thing. We could spend a week on each one. So wonderful and so glorious. But now I want to ask the question, so what? What difference does that make to my life? I understand that he is, you're saying he is Jesus, the historical person. He's the promised one, the Christ. He is um, the, uh, his, the father's only son. And he is the Lord. But so what? Three words to, for us to take away as a, the difference this should make in our life. The first word is this. This should give us confidence. When we think of who Jesus is, that he really existed, this should give us confidence. He's not a made-up person, not a made-up idea. He really came, he really existed, he really spoke, he really breathed, he really laughed, he really cried, he really lived in this world. And he is the Christ. He has always been God's promised one. He is our only hope. What we believe in today is based on real historical events. Isn't that, that should give us confidence. We can feel so belittled by people dismissing Christianity for so many reasons. But today we need to affirm this is true, this is real, this Jesus really existed. If you're, not, if you're here and you're not a Christian, can I ask why don't you believe in Jesus? What are your reasons for not believing? Have you got good enough reasons? I know that people often ask Christians to back up what they believe. Well, can I ask you as well? Can you back up what you don't, why you don't believe? What reasons can you give? See, this should give us confidence today that we're trusting in the truth. But not only confidence kind of in our minds and intellectually, but see, when we look at who Jesus is and why he came, Jesus didn't come just as a teacher. He didn't give just to give talks and give um, advice. He didn't just come along and say, look, I want you to pull up your socks or try hard or here's an idea. No, no, Jesus came to accomplish something. He came to do something. And that is good news because that means it's not your works that save, it's Jesus. It's not what you do, but what he has done. And that should give us confidence. The reason the Son of God came into this world wasn't just to give some advice, but he came to do and accomplish something. He came to save. That's our hope this morning. See, when Jesus, when we think of who Jesus is and why he came, we came. When we link it up with Genesis 3, what happened in Genesis 3? And what, what happens when we turn away from God? We say to God, God, even though you uh, are Lord, I'm going to remove you from that position. I'm putting myself there. I want to be the boss. We put ourselves in God's position. So we call the shots. We know what's best. And we're going to put ourselves in the position of God. And that could one way of summing up what sin is. So what happened when Jesus came? Well, Jesus, wonderfully, we see on the cross, God takes our place. He takes what we deserve. We deserve to bear the wrath and the anger and the punishment from God. We deserve that. But Jesus took it on the cross in our place. 
So sin is us putting, our, in, putting ourselves in the position of God. But salvation is God putting ourselves in, in our position. And because of that, we get to be uh, forgiven. We get to be accepted. We get wonderfully to say, I am accepted in Christ. Because Jesus is the Son of God, we can be called children of God. We can be accepted into the family. He on the cross was cast out, as it were, so that we could be welcomed in. And that means that we are loved this morning if our trust is in Jesus with the same love that God the Father has for the Son. Remember in John 17, when we looked at that passage, Jesus says this, "Um, I am in them and you in me, and that they may become perfectly one, so the world might know that you sent them and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus praying, Father, love them with the same love that you have for me. Now think on the confidence that should give us this morning. You are secure in the love of Jesus, as secure as Jesus is in the love of the Father. As secure as the Trinity is in their relationship. Wonderfully, you are secure. It is not what you've done, but it's what Jesus has done. That should give us confidence. Who is he? Jesus is the Christ. He's the only son. He's our Lord. So let's draw confidence from that this morning. Secondly, these truths about Jesus give us clarity. How does understanding who Jesus is give us clarity? Well, this shows us, Jesus shows us what God is like. Remember when Philip asked Jesus, we want to see the Father. What does Jesus say? Look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1 tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. We don't have to guess anymore what God is like because he's turned up. So we don't say, oh, I think God is like this, or I think God is like this, or this is what I feel God is like. No, he's come, so the guessing is over. Imagine now for a moment you're talking about one of your heroes. Let's say it's Arlen Wynne Jones, the uh, Welsh rugby captain. And you say, well, I, I don't think he likes broccoli. And I don't think he's a fan of dogs. And he hates flying in airplanes. That's what I've heard. And then suddenly you get this tap on your shoulder. And you turn around and you look. For me, it'd be, you look. And it's him, Alan Wynne Jones. He says, let me tell you, I love broccoli. You know, and I love dogs, and I love flying in airplanes. So stop making up things about me. I'm here now. Any other questions you want to ask? I've turned up. You see, when we say about God, when we think, oh, I know about God, our answer has to be coming through who Jesus is. He has come. God has come. God in the flesh. So the guessing is over. So sometimes you might think, oh, I think, I feel God is like this. We need to look at Jesus. We need to see how he is revealed to us in his word. The guessing is over. There is clarity on who God is and what he's like. Not only that, but don't we have clarity on why we're on this world? Why do we exist? Let's look at the reason God came. God came into this world so that we could be forgiven. He came so that we could be restored to that relationship with him. As I said, he didn't come simply as a teacher, just giving advice. He came to rescue us and restore us to our, the reason we exist. Now, we were created to know, love, and enjoy God, and Jesus came to make that possible. And for a moment, picture a kite. This kite is flying in the air, and it's being tugged down by a string. We had some kites in the summer, and they actually worked because it was wind- we went on holiday near Aberystwyth, and it was very windy, and these flights were flying. But imagine one of those kites was there looking down at the string saying, do you know what I want? I want to be free from this string. This string is just, you know, tying me down, and I want to be free, and... 
What happens if that kite somehow cuts itself free from the string? Well, disaster. The kite thinks it's free, but actually now it's loose, it's dangerous, it crashes, and it's lost all direction and purpose. It's no longer functioning as it should. The kite is made to be attached to the string, and that is when a kite flies its best. That is when a kite is doing what it's meant to do. We were designed to be in relationship with our God. And we think we know best. We think, oh, I don't need him. But then we see God come to this world. Why did he come? He came so that we could be forgiven. He came so that we could be restored. This gives us clarity on who we are, who God is, and why we're on this world. We believe in Jesus the Christ, his only son, our Lord. It gives us confidence and clarity. And the last thing is this. When we look at these truths about Jesus, it confronts us. I'm going to talk to you this for a moment if you're not a Christian, if you're exploring these things. Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. And not only did he say that, make those claims, he, he showed us those things as, in what he did with his miracles. And that means this. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. You can't say, oh, no, 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 I, I'm not going to listen to him. Some people might say, oh, I like Jesus' teachings. You know, I like the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll try and follow that. But, but you know, he's, that, that's about as far as I go. But can you really trust the teachings of somebody who thought they were God if they weren't? C.S. Lewis makes this point, doesn't he? He says, look, if Jesus wasn't God, but he thought he was, he's just crazy. Are you going to listen to the teachings of a crazy person? Or if he wasn't God, but he said he was, so he knew he wasn't, he's just, there's an evil, sinister side to him. Are you going to listen to the teachings of somebody who's trying to dupe people into believing he's God? He's either crazy, he's evil, or he genuinely was who he said he was. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. Here is the one who, the God who made a saying, here is my son. What are you going to do with him? The size of the claim means you can't ignore it. Imagine you go back home today. You can't, don't get post on a Sunday, do you? Imagine you go back out tomorrow and you get, there's a letter in the post and it says, um, you may have won £4.75 off your next sailing lesson. Now, as you look at that kind of claim, you think, well, to be honest... That's not really going to affect my life. I don't think I'm going to have sailing lessons here, but maybe you do. And you might think, great, 475 is good. But the size of the claim is not that important. It's not really going to affect your life. So you kind of look at that and think it's probably junk mail. You know, it says, to the owner of this house, or a person at this address, not specific, not going to affect you. The claim isn't that big. Imagine another letter comes through, and you look at it, and it is pristine envelope, thick, you know, really good quality. You open it up, it's addressed to you, your name is on it. And it's from Buckingham Palace. And it says, um, you are actually royalty. And actually, you are a member of the royal family. And you need to get in touch because we've got a palace waiting for you. Now, the size of the claim means that you're going to deal with that in a very different way to £4.75 off your sailing license, aren't you? It's worth a phone call, surely. The size of the claim of who Jesus is, is Jesus claims to be the son of God. The one to give you purpose and forgiveness and hope now and forever. You can't sit on the fence with him. So let me encourage you to look at this passage we read where Thomas uh, says, this is my Lord and my God. And John says, these things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing you might have life in his name.
Don't put that off. That is a wonderful invitation. And he invites you this morning to believe, to trust. See, we're confronted by Jesus. He stands there and we, we have to do something with him. What are you going to do with him? If you're a Christian here this morning, we're not off the hook. Jesus confronts us as well. We sing, and we'll be singing in a moment, Jesus is Lord. We say that truth, Jesus is my Lord. But the challenge for us this morning is, is he? Is he really our Lord in our lives? We can treat Jesus a bit like an extension in a house sometimes, can't we? You know, an extension in a house. If you have an extension in your house, you don't need it. It's not essential. You still got your kitchen and your bathroom and your um, everywhere else in the house, but an extension might give you a bit more space. Might make things a bit more comfortable. And so you've got your, you have an extension and there you go. Your life's a bit more comfortable, but it, not essential. So often we can see Jesus a bit like an extension on our house. We've got everything else, you know, in our house um, sorted. We've got a, a little extension then for Christianity. My rest of my life is normal. Jesus doesn't affect anything else in my life. He's just this little extension. I come on a Sunday and that's it. That's not how it works, is it? God says, I want the whole house. Jesus says, I'm the Lord. Is he your Lord? Are you obeying him in every area of your life? Or is it an area you're saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm keeping that for myself. See, we are confronted today by Jesus saying, trust me and submit to me. Listen to me, follow me. So where have you been holding back? What is God putting his finger on now? And you know, you know what it is. Listen to who that um, word is coming from. It's coming from Jesus who loves you dearly. Jesus who gave up everything. He had the royalty and the, the, um, all the glory of heaven that he gave up to be a nobody in Nazareth. He died on the cross and bore the punishment for our sins so that you could be forgiven. And he says, now please trust me. Is he truly your Lord? He knows what's best. He doesn't want to spoil your fun. He wants to set you free. He doesn't want to restrict you. He wants you to know true life. Won't you submit to him afresh this morning as your Lord? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. Will you let me in? Let me rule. Let me reign. Let me be your Lord. So believer this morning. As we say those words, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Let's pray that those words thrill our hearts and that we live for him and we speak these words of hope to those around us. Let's spend a few moments just in silence as we reflect on those things and then we'll sing our last uh, hymn together.